Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to a Love Tennis Podlet. I'm here with Calvin Betton, our resident tennis coach. My name's James Gray. I'm with the iNewspaper at iNews.co.uk. We're going to look back at what I believe to be day 12 at the French Open. We'll look forward to day 13 as well. We now have all our semi-finalists. We know the last four in both draws, and we'll look ahead to the men's semi-finals on Friday as well. Hopefully you're listening on Friday morning and you're as excited about those matches as we are. But first... We should talk about those women's singles matches. Uh, Iga Shrontek, she beat Daria Kasatkina in straight sets, 6-2, 6-1, while Coco Goff beat Martina Trevisan, 6-3, 6-1. I would suggest that one of those scorelines is accurate. The other one, I think, flatters a player a little bit, but we'll get into that. Um, Calvin, I know you've been on court in Surbiton today, where Andy Murray has also been in action. So I'm sure it's been a, a packed house at Surbiton, which is not something you can always say, right? Sell out today. Really? Yeah, sell out. Won't let and anyone it, in. And it felt it? And it, it felt like a buzz? Yeah, it was uh, It was way more people than I've ever seen at a challenge. Um, <laughs> they're challenging in this country. You get quite a few people challenging France. Yeah. Um, but to, before we get on to the French Open stuff, I know you're working with um, Henry Patton at the moment out there. Um, tell us a bit about what these tournaments are like when someone like Andy turns up and, you know, just, just the crowd numbers go through the roof. Does it change the whole feeling of the tournament? Yeah, you just hear people on their phones just and you just keep hearing Andy Murray. I'm going to see Andy Murray today. I've seen Andy Murray. I saw Andy Murray. And like that, you just... It's, look, it, people are here to see Andy Murray. I don't know how many people would be at this tournament if... I suspect there's at least a 40% increase in in crowd uh, because Andy's playing. And and do, you know, like Henry and, and Felix, who you're working with at the moment, kind of indirectly, like, do they Julian. relish, uh, beg your pardon, Julian, um, do they kind of relish that? Like, it, it, is it something enjoyable for them? Or they're like, oh, these guys aren't here to see me, they're just here to see Andy, and I, I wish they weren't in some ways. Oh, no, I don't think they think that. I don't think... To be honest, the lads today, I don't think they're really registered. Um, right. You know, I mean, Andy was like he was the side of the court when we were all warming up and he's there, he chats to them and that kind of thing. But mm. 
his brother's there as well. Jamie's play, Jamie was playing it, although they lost today. Um, but, uh, you know, so for Julian and Henry, who, who are just playing doubles this week, I guess they'd almost have more of an interest in in watching Jamie play a match. Mm. So, <laughs> Grand Slam winner. Um, so, so yeah, but um, no, I don't think they're definitely, there's no resentment there or anything. No, no. It's been quite a strange one, though. I don't think anyone's really sat and thought because, like, with the doubles, the doubles, it was only the first day today because it got rained off yesterday and the day before. So, mm. um, it's all been a bit, two, bit crammed in. Yeah, and there was two matches. And um, there was an interesting bit today as well where because they were desperate to get through the matches they used the second match which the lads played on today was the practice court which as anyone who knows grass court tournaments the practice court is knackered and I actually took a picture and I, I forgot I was meant to send it to you and George in the whatsapp group that saying I took a picture of the court before I knew they were going to play a match on it saying I think this might be what um Nadine Dorries was talking about when she called it a tennis pitch <laughs> uh, um, it was it's staggering the picture doesn't do it justice i might get a video tomorrow but and they put them on it and we sort of not arguing with the ref we were going come on you can't you can't put matches on that not a challenger (laughs) and he was arguing it and i asked him the question i said to the ref if of all the courts that you've of all the courts at tournaments that you referee throughout the year is there a court that is worse than this one (laughs) and and his reply was that's just grass court tennis. We're going to play on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's grass court tennis, Calvin. That's that's grass court tennis. That, that might become our like our motto for the grass season. I mean, t- look, we went to we practiced yesterday at um, All England Club at Rains Park. I don't know whether people know, but the All England Club have another venue at Rains Park. It's a mm. community centre, and the difference in the quality of grass courts is out of this world. Well, I have a pop at grass courts a bit, but the ones at Reigns yesterday were sublime, like mm. carpets. The ones at Surbiton are not. <laughs> I see. Hard work, to say the least. Um, it can't be said the same for the clay courts at uh, Philip Chatteret, because all the matches now are on Philip Chatteret, and we'll move on to those now. Um, Coco Goff and uh, Martini Trevisan were second on Iga Schwantek. Opened up the day against Daria Cass at Kina. Um, Calvin, this was a match, and I know you won't have seen it, but it was certainly a match that we expected to be pretty one-sided. Iga Shontek winning 6-2, 6-1 in one hour and six minutes. It's kind of getting to the point now. I mean, I watched quite a lot of this, and it was windy. Um, Shontek double-faulted the first point of the match, which was the immediate... I I had sort of just got up to the press seats in Philip Chatteret, which... For people who won't know, inevitably, they are quite high up. They're at one end of the court with the big screens where all the commentators sit. And I was like, oh, it is a bit breezy. And actually, because you're always in the shade in those seats, it was a little bit chilly as well. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, it's a bit breezy. And then Shante double faulted, and I thought, oh, hang on. This might be a bit of a weird match because of the wind. Um, I mean, I mean, playing in the wind, is it the serve that suffers the most, Calvin? Because it, it certainly felt like that, certainly in the first set, when I think there were five four breaks of server rule it depends what the wind what type of wind it is whether it's if Ooh. it's going if, now if it's going end to end the serve you can you can get under control a bit um and it's you know what's happening hmm. if it's going side to side then it's the ground strokes as well as the serve right. that become an issue if it's no sorry if it's going end to end yeah it's the serve that's a problem but ground strokes you can get a read on 
you yeah. basically have to hit them harder or you have to put more spin on them depending which end you're at. Whereas if it's going side to side or it's swirling, it then affects whether where you set up for the ground strokes. Mm. And I think I told you the other week when Henry Rye coach was playing at Nottingham, which as people who follow us on Twitter will know, I comment on the windiness of Nottingham regularly. <laughs> but there was one instance there where he set up to hit a backhand and ended up hitting a forehand. Um, <laughs> and that genuine. So, yeah. Um, I can assure you Chatre wasn't as bad as that. But I yeah. imagine in a stadium court it swirls because of, you know, because it's quite high sided and you've got wind coming over the top and then creating a vacuum underneath it. It probably does swirl a bit. I always find I don't know since they've had a roof there, but it used to be open, so you wouldn't get so much swirling then for some reason. I think when it's not not obviously not when the roof's closed, that yeah. it wouldn't be windy then. But if say like centre court at Wimbledon, when the wind when the roof is open, like the, I don't know how to say it, there's there's like can it canopies the the crowd, so then yeah. it swirls a bit. Whereas like Chatrier and the U.S. Open, it sort of goes out. I'm I'm gonna making signs with my hands here that none of the listeners can see. But, um, <laughs> in that no, case, I know it, what you mean it. It creates um it creates a slipstream basically. Like yeah. if the wind, you know, Chatre, the way the roof is on Chatre is it goes from one end to the other, and it's the same on centre. In fairness, yeah. And if the wind is coming from you know the north as it is in Paris, it's going to create a slipstream underneath the roof essentially, which will create a swirl. I mean, what I will say is that the stadiums, when I've been in them, they they're nowhere near as windy as as the outside courts because it does, it does who, shield it. You know, yeah, people who it does shield it. Yeah. yeah, it does shield it. Um, or even side courts at the slams, um, it wouldn't be anywhere near as windy as that. But um, but yeah, there's still a bit of wind in there. Um, Shontek, as I say, uh, did drop uh, the first point of the match, double fault, uh, but she did hold, she then broke. But credit to Daria Kazakina, she broke back immediately. She got two all in the first set, and we all thought, here we go, we've got a competitive match for Iga Shontek. She won one more game in the entire match. Shontek absolutely crushed her, quite frankly. Um, she held once in the second set. She won, I think I'm right in saying that Iga Shontek won 20 of the last 23 points. Um, Calvin, you obviously move in tennis circles in the UK, so everyone knows who Iga Shontek is. But do you not think it's going to be a problem if Iga Shontek wins this French Open title and she's had, in in theory, and she could just batter Kukuk off, it's not impossible. You know, she's had no really competitive matches. It's not It's not going to help the cut-through of her fame, is it? No, um, and it's also not going to help women's tennis overly. Hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why one of the reasons why there's been a bit it's it's maybe not had as much publicity the women's tournament this because we've known who's going to win it yeah like we, we know at the start who's going to win it and look we we had that bef- we had that in the men's game for a while with federer yeah. although never so dominant where and obviously never really at the french where you knew you you didn't think he was going to win there but but you always knew that. nadal was going to win the french in fairness in a way but there were also all-time great players in the draw with him. Hmm. Like there, there was, there was always been Federer, Djokovic, Murray in the draw as well, and they've taken him close a few times. Stan was in there as well, who can hmm. always do damage. So, he, but I think this with with Fonte, she's been. So, I mean, how many matches in a row is it? She's now up to thirty-four in a row. Yeah, if you get into the, like, if you get into that, then you think you know she's probably going to win it and i think yeah i 
it's good in a way because I keep saying I think we need a big star and a big name, but mm. it's not great when you know the outcome already. Yeah, it's it's distinctly problematic. And I think Daria Kasakina, you know, who seems like a decent player, but she was not the player to beat Iga Shontek. Um, it struck me today that Shontek drew level with Serena Williams' best unbeaten run of 34 matches. And I actually thought she played a bit like Serena Williams today. Maybe because Kasakina was second serving at 65 miles an hour. And she looked at it and said, yeah, this is something I can jump all over. And she, she did. And... and you know, if you're going to roll... And I'm told that Derek Kazakina is, you know, a slow second server. And if you're going to do that against someone like Shontek, she's going to get all over you and it's going to get pretty one-sided, isn't it? I think as well, the thing with Shontek is she's such a good front runner. Yeah. It's not one of those where... When she's lost at the majors, it's because she doesn't start well and it doesn't get better. Yeah. Like against Daniel Collins, against um, Sakari at the French last year that kind of match there's none where she doesn't when she starts well it's they don't get back in it yeah. it's um so that also adds an element of inevitability about it i think mm. indeed um there was less inevitability about the second semi-final of the day coco goff up against uh italian world number 59 martina trevisan goff came through in the straight sets it was six three six one but Given that it was only a game more than Shontek's match and took an extra 20 minutes, I think that should tell you a little bit that it was actually, at least for the first, I would say, 9 or 10 games, a pretty competitive match. Uh, Kokogov didn't start brilliantly. Trevor Sand got under her skin. Um, Calvin, the one I was bit I was going to ask you about is that in the first or the second game, I should say, at break point, Kokogov went to the umpire and she said, I mean, look, Trevor San has a big grunt on her, like a big, big screaming grunt, and it goes on a long time. And Goff went to the umpire and said, it's too loud, no? Like, I don't usually complain, and this is a verbatim, but she's still screaming when I'm hitting the ball. Um, and to credit to the umpire, she had a word with Trevor San at the first sit-down, and Trevor San said, actually, no, I think I'm fine. Um, I don't think I need to make any changes. I think I'm doing all right. Uh, and that was kind of the end of it. I mean... Cowan, the screaming, the grunting, it obviously happens a bit more in the women's game, but I mean, if if you're still screaming when someone's hitting the ball back to you, surely that's a hindrance, or at least unsportsmanlike. I've, I've literally witnessed the same thing today at Surbiton in the women's. There's a player here, I forget her name, but most of the people, most of the other coaches know her, who does specifically that. A grunt starts about a second after the ball has left her racket. Um, and she was doing it today when she was volleying. She was volleying. <laughs> connecting with the ball and then starting a grunt which yeah. you don't you don't ever need to grunt when you're volleying it's no. it, there's no reason for it and it is a bugbear of mine it's it's rubbish i i don't mind grunting when it happens i think some people for want of a better word take the piss with it yeah. and i think if 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 your grunt starts after you've contacted then no that's just that's literally there just to put your opponent off i mean you must have coached players who grunt to a lesser or greater extent. I mean, is it something that they can't stop themselves doing? It's become part and parcel of what they do. Um, I don't. I remember I've been. To, I've told a few players to grunt more, um, <laughs> but because I just to, in order to just bring a bit of aggression into their game. Yeah. Um, the rest of them, well, a lot of people grunt, but it's kind of you don't notice it. Yeah. The weird one, the ones you notice are the grunts that are unnatural. Yeah. That's always the case. And the one the people that grunt after they hit the ball. 
And that's not necessarily just down to the women. I'd say 10% of the women grunt more than the men. But um, the women tend to do more of that, though, the business of grunting after uh, after they've hit the ball. I've always thought that Murray has a really weird grunt because he has a load-up grunt and a post-hit grunt. He has that yeah. really uncomfortable sort of... Ugh! Yeah, I, I really, I, really don't like it. I've, I've witnessed it today as well, first-hand. <laughs> and it's not always representative of the pace that he hits the ball at either. Um, <laughs> which I actually have one for the rip. When I was playing tennis, I pl- there used to be a guy in this story. I, like it's it's a mad one, really. There was a lad called I don't even know if he listens. He was a mate of mine. He was called Chris Annabel. Right. Um, and when the tournament draws came out, it was just C Annabel. So it's cannibal. Uh, <laughs> um, and he used to have a massive grunt, but he'd grunt depending on the shot he hit. So if it was a big one, he'd go, ah, ah, and then he'd do a drop shot. It'd be, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and, uh, um, that, I always found that. And it, it would always change. Like if you throw in a slice, it'd be, ah. <laughs> It's quite useful, really, if you play yeah, against him. Yeah, well, when you didn't want to come up and if you know if you didn't know him and you came up in the drawer, you just saw you playing cannibal. Yeah, that was always <laughs> one to worry. Um, yeah, indeed. Um, as I say, uh, Coco Goff, she did complain about it, but she got through it in the end, winning six three six one. She ran away with it by the end. To be honest, uh, Trevor Sen had a medical timeout after the first set, and she didn't seem hugely hindered, but she did only win one more game after that. So. Um, yeah, it was a relatively comfortable win for Coco Goff in her first Grand Slam semi-final. Um, to be honest, the tennis was not the most remarkable thing about Coco Goff today. Her ability to talk afterwards was staggering. She spoke on the court um, and the interviewer said, to her, are you nervous about the final? And she said, oh, you know, like, I'm sometimes a bit nervous in the morning, but I go for a walk and I'm all right. And uh, there are many more things in the world to be nervous about than just a tennis match. And I thought that was... Immediately as she said that, I went, blooming heck, like 18 years old, just so balanced. And then she walked off the court and into the arms of John Vertime, who's the Tennis Channel interviewer. And his second question was, oh, I noticed you wrote on the camera. You know, all players have to write something on the camera after their match. And she wrote, peace and gun violence. And John Vertheim noticed this and asked her about it. And she said, oh, I just, I want to use my platform you know, to make a difference. And I knew lots of people would be watching this match. And I thought maybe if some global people notice what's going on in the US, then this would make a difference. And she then gave a brilliant press conference, which, I mean, everyone came out of saying, my goodness me, she talks so well. Um, Calvin, she, you must have met the odd player like this who is like an adult at the age of 16, but... She's just so incredibly mature. Yeah, um, I mean, she's a star. There's, she's a superstar, and you know, once the tennis—not that tennis catches up—once the consistency catches up, you get the feeling she's she's going to go to a super, be a superstar. Mm. Um, and she's one of those people who there's certain people you think though they're entitled to their opinion, and I might agree with them on some things, and I might agree with them on others. She's one of those people who you think probably dictates what we should think on things. Um, because she's... You don't know what you think about it until you hear what Coco's got yeah. to say. And I think, you know, I I find nothing more infuriating than 
sports people who go, I don't involve, I don't get involved in politics, and I'm, I'm not talking about that. And as as we've seen with a couple of football managers in Britain recently, who flat out refuse to acknowledge and and hide behind the excuse of I'm here to talk about football, yeah, or something like that. And I think after I don't know if anybody saw the Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr's monologue last week um, after yeah. the shootings and. And then Coco Goff today, and I think it puts sports stars who won't talk about thing anything politically, or I guess that's not even politically, that's a level above that, the, the gun things, that anybody who won't talk about anything other than sport, it really puts them to shame. Yeah, um, I think it's relevant as well. Steve Kerr, as you mentioned, incredibly moving um, press conference. He, I believe he lost his father to gun violence um, off the top of my head. I, I know he has a personal connection. Um, Coco also mentioned that she had a personal connection to an extent. She said it's kind of close to home. I had some friends that were part of the Parkland shooting. I don't remember which year it was, but I remember watching that whole experience pretty much firsthand, seeing and having friends go through it. Luckily, they were able to make it out. I just think it's crazy. I was 14 or 13 when that happened, and still nothing has changed. Um, Yeah, I think it's hugely valuable, especially when for sports stars, it's always more valuable when they've got firsthand experience, but almost when they haven't. But they say, look, go and listen to these people, you know, that's kind of what journalism is as well. It's giving a voice to the voiceless. And I think that sports stars have an opportunity like journalists do to give a voice to the voiceless. And I think, you know, victims of gun crime don't get to stand in front of the media and say, this was really rubbish because they're dead. And it's really important when someone like Coco Goff, I mean, crikey, you know, she is, she's such a role model. I don't know much about her personal life. I don't know what she does day to day, but I don't know that she's anything bad. But the way she talks about these big issues is so, like, very balanced. And what's weird is it doesn't feel like someone's told her to say this. Like, she's she's part of the Roger Federer management crew, um, but it doesn't feel like they've said, oh, Coco, you should go out and take a stand against this. No, it's not disingenuous or manufactured at all, is it? And I, I already think that... I guess it's one night with Serena. I mean, I think Serena is a highly intelligent person. And she says a lot of things that I find compelling and listening to her. Mm. There's always, she has a tendency to also say things that have some self-interest yeah, and, and and muddle the grounds at times. And I think she's done that. I, I don't think Coco has that same. in her. No. I think to be fair, I think she's quite a lot like Venus. I always find Venus to be a bit more of a, I don't know the term, a bit more of an honest speaker than Serena Yeah. Um, in that regard. Yeah, it was interesting. And the other thing she said on court, which I found incredibly kind of uh, compelling, was she she said, I'm not nervous about the final. Um, you know, it's just a tennis match, as I mentioned earlier. But she also said, my parents are going to love me no matter what. And, you know, that's fine. And I actually found that, you know, tennis is a place full of bad parents. Like there are a lot of, as you yeah. well know, Calvin, there are a lot of bad parents in tennis. That felt to me like a good parent. Yeah, and it's funny. I was talking with somebody about this yesterday about the the whole the bad parents thing and how much damage the Serena Williams, the Richard Williams film is going to do because it's based on fiction and you're going to get parents who want to replicate that and it's just mm. not reality. But also there's been a lot of parents who knew what Richard Williams was like and thought that to be good mm. for some reason. But Coco Goff's dad and I've, I've chatted with him. I chatted with him last year at Wimbledon. He's the opposite. And I don't know if I, he might be different behind closed doors, but I find it, I find that hard to believe. I mm. mean, he was just 
just seemed like a. I, I was actually chatting to him in the bar at Wimbledon last year, and I had no idea who he was. Um, <laughs> and then one of my mates said, "That's Coco's dad." Right. Um, and I was chatting with him. I had a beer with him for about half an hour. Um, he just. It was in the bubble, and the bar was. You could only chat to people who were sat anywhere near you at that time. So. <laughs> uh, he yeah. had to talk to you. Is that what you're saying? He had no choice. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, she's into her first Grand Slam final. She'll take on Iga Schrontek on Saturday. Uh, it'll be 2 p.m. UK time, 3 p.m. here in Paris. Uh, I think, well, we'll talk a bit more about that match at length tomorrow, potentially. Um, let's move on to the semi-finals tomorrow on Friday, as it is. Uh, we've got Rafael Nadal against Alexander Zverev at 2.45 local time. That'd be 1.45 in the UK. Followed by Kaspar Ruud against Marin Cilic. Uh, Calvin, people are talking about Nadal Zverev as a de facto final. It, that is that pretty much the case? Um, no. I think Ruud's got a bit. I don't think Cilic is going to win it. I don't think Ruud's going to win it. If Ruud plays Zverev, I think there's a chance that Ruud wins it. Mm. Also, but you don't... if. If Rude plays a knackered Nadal, then that's not a given either. It's interesting you say a knackered Nadal. There's been a lot of talk about it here over the last couple of days. Um, the day after the four-hour win over Djokovic, Nadal was scheduled for 90 minutes of practice. He only turned up for 30, and then he left. Um, his co- One of his coaches, Mark Lopez, uh, said today he'd woken up with quite a lot of pain on Wednesday morning, and then he came and he hit, and then he went back, but they were confident he would last Thursday, he hit for 90 minutes. His session was over and he just kept going. Uh, I am reliably informed. Uh, he hit for well over 90 minutes, which suggests that recovery is completed. Um, this foot injury, no one really understands it. Nadal continually says, I've got my doctor here. We'll talk more about exactly what's going on afterwards, which makes me, well, there's a lot that makes me think. Um, but looking at the matchup specifically, Calvin, because otherwise we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Um, Nadal against Zverev, he, he beat him in Rome last year, but he has lost to Zverev three times before that, twice on indoor hard courts and once in Madrid, which I guess is Zverev's kind of, you know, um, hotbed when it comes to clay. H- how do you see this matchup working out? Um, I think you've got to favour Nadal. The courts, the times when Zverev's beat him, it's always been on faster courts or in altitude. And Nadal has a pretty good record against him, doesn't he? Hmm. Overall, I can't. I just can't see how Zverev wins that. To be honest, when you unless, at, unless he's knackered. When you look at the two games, I mean, like the specific weapons. I mean, Zverev's weapon, one of which is obviously his serve, which you think Nadal, he goes pretty well against big servers. His other big weapon, and I know you say it's always the worst weapon to have, is his backhand. But that is something that Nadal generally tries to exploit in players, isn't it? Is is the backhand side? Yeah, well, he tries to open it. He tries to use it to open up the forehand, mm. um, so he can go with his inside inside out forehand to their forehand, and that's where he can get some purchase because Zverev doesn't defend well on his forehand at all. Mm. Um, but um, yeah. So, look, what do you think if you're Zverev? What What are you thinking about tonight or, or tomorrow morning when you go and have a hit? Like what? What are you thinking you have to do differently or particularly well to try and undo... He's got to commit to the shot. He's got to commit to his game and he's got to roll the dice. He's not going to out-rally Nadal. He's not going to come out there and go, I need to be solid. 
I need to make balls. He's got to take some risks. He's got to go for some, and he's got to commit to it when he goes for the shots. Hmm. If if he does that, he's got a chance, no doubt. But if he comes out there and goes, I'm just going to make balls, then Nadal's going to absolutely put him in the grinder. <laughs> yeah, doesn't feel like Alan Sadovero is going to going to out grind Rafael Nadal. Um, he does have a little bit of an advantage. He's had the best part of two and a bit days to recover. Um, they of course he of course played on Tuesday, beat Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, and he's going to have had, yeah, more than 48, more than um, 72 hours, in fact, to recover for that. It was his first win against a top 10 player at a Grand Slam. Someone asked him about this at the press conference. I want to read you his answer. They said, you've finally managed to beat, beat a top 10 player at a Slam. Does it mean something special to achieve this day? He said, to be honest, I don't think about it in that way. I've had a lot of great matches, but yes, I've lost a lot of them. I mean, I'm happy to have done it. But it's not my biggest concern, I would say. Which which kind of made me laugh because what kind of player goes in and says, yeah, I've played a lot of big matches and I've lost quite a lot of them. Like, no one says that. Yeah, he says it with such like confidence as well, doesn't it? That, like, <laughs> yeah. like he's right. Like I've proven you wrong with that answer. Like, <laughs> you, you really haven't, Alexander. You know, it's not like you've confirmed what we already knew and what we're trying to prove the point of. Yeah. He always says, I don't, "Look, you, you're in more of his press conferences than 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 I see." Like he always seems when I see him, like he's dismissing the question. Like it's like what what ridiculous question? Let let me answer it. And brushes it off. I don't know whether that's a misrepresentation. No, I think I think that's not unreasonable. I I think that is his manner. I think you know, it, look questions in press conferences. I do my best to ask good questions in press conferences. Um, not everyone is able to do that. Let me put it that way. There are a lot of journalists at Grand Slams. They're not all super competent. I I, I don't want to like you know piss on other people about what they do, but inevitably there are lots of questions and and inevitably as well like the journalists who necessarily not aren't necessarily the best often get more questions because they either they get picked on more because you know the press conference manager doesn't think they'll ask anything too offensive or problematic or because they're more keen about asking and yeah i think like some of the time i'm kind of whiz aware of and i'm like yeah i would probably dismiss that question as well but also he gets asked a lot of hard questions and he doesn't like it yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was listening to a podcast on the way down. And I can't remember what, what it was about questions that journalists and presenters ask sports stars, and there were so many that are just just rubbish, like stuff like, "How happy are you that you managed to win that?" Yeah, and, and what does it mean for you that you've managed to win that? Like, who cares about the answer to that? Yeah, like, who, who's really reading that and going, "I really want to read it. I want to hear the response to that," because you already know the answer. So. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly the problem. I mean, you know, the press conference format is not perfect, but it relies on people asking good questions and interesting questions. I think also the problem is that Zverev wins a lot of matches, which means that he does a lot of press conferences. Yeah. And, like, to a certain extent, how many questions do you really want to ask Alexander Zverev? You know, I, I certainly only really have one that I want to ask him, and <laughs> I don't think he's going to like answering yeah, it. Yeah, I've got to say, I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask him plenty of questions. For <laughs> one... I mean, pr- probably like one of them is, is like, why on earth do you keep wearing those shirts? <laughs> I, um, and I said this, what, what I can't get, look, we obviously have the the, the, the the elephant in the room about Alexander Zverev. But aside from that, he's also not a very pleasant person. I don't know. But yeah. what I said in the group yesterday, what you notice when you see him, he's an obscenely good looking man. 
And you, you think, said what? that. I don't really think I he is. Just, I reckon he could like he could model for any of the big brands. Like I think that's amazing. I really don't think he's that good looking. I don't know what it is. But, I find but his teeth a bit weird. I find his but, nose a bit weird. He's one of those. I'll tell you what it is. It's like, and, and I, I heard a great description of this the other day, that there's two types of good looking, right? And this has turned into some sort of homoerotic pod, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> um, that there's two types of good looking. There's movie star good looking, yeah. which is like the, the truly like beautiful people. They're perfect. And then yeah. there's rock star good looking where there's something that's a little bit, they're not quite there, but they're, they're definitely good looking. And he's, he's one of those, I think. Um, just Calvin refers to an elephant in the room. Um, it should be noted that Alexander Zverev is currently under investigation for domestic abuse of his former girlfriend, um, Olya Sharapova. I would urge anyone um, who doesn't know this story to go and read uh, Ben Rothenberg's two interviews with Olya, one on the New York Times and one on Racket magazine. Um, the ATP are currently investigating him for it. They have employed a third-party company to do that investigation it's been ongoing for some months they have finally spoken to Olya herself i know that for a fact um but they have not yet returned any results we await with interest what those results will be uh, as calvin says it is the elephant in the room it's the elephant in the room every time alexander Zverev plays and i would urge anyone who doesn't know about it to go and read up about it because it is worth knowing he has always denied these accusations um and as i say we await with interest the the answer to this investigation, and it's deeply frustrating because we've had to kind of say and, you know, moot these things for so long because we still don't have an answer. You would think the ATP wants to clear something up, but anyway, I, if we talk too long about this, I'll get very angry. Let's move on to the second semi-final, which involves not Alexander Zverev. It involves Marin Cilic and Kasper Ruud. Cilic, of course, who beat Rublev in five sets to get here, uh, including a 10-2 tiebreak, a terrific result for him. Uh, and Kaspar Ruud to beat Holger Rune. And then, if you're to believe Holger Rune, shouted in his face in the locker room, Yah! Uh, Christian Rude, Kaspar's father, then says, that didn't happen. And Holger Rune's mother, uh, Anjika, I believe her name is, uh, she then said, Christian Rude is lying, and it did happen. He wasn't there. How would he know? Uh, we don't know who is lying or who's telling the truth, but it involves Needle, and I'm all in favour of Needle. So I think we should just roll with it. Uh, let's talk about the specific matchup: Kaspar Ruud against Marin Cilic, Calvin. It couldn't be two more different players, really, could it? No, um, could be a decent match actually, um, because of that different balance, different styles, and that kind of thing. Um, what, what's from... to fear? What's to fear about Kaspar Ruud for people? Because people will know Marin Cilic, they know he's a big serving Croatian. They'll remember his run to the Wimbledon final. They'll remember his US Open title. What's to fear from Kaspar Ruud? Uh, he competes, he's fast, he's athletic, makes a lot of balls, and he hits a big, heavy ball off his forehand. I think that's actually, you mentioned the forehand, and I've talked with a lot of people about Kasper Ruud, and they always mention the athleticism and the movement, but I think people underrate his forehand. I think they really like underestimate the kind of damage it can do. It's As you say, it's heavy, it's spin heavy, and I guess that's why he's effective on clay. Yeah, but I also think it's improved quite significantly this year. I right. think he's I think he's got a bit more of it. So I, I watched him yesterday, and as we were saying just before we came on air, I think him and Rune play pretty similar games, and mm. but Rude hits a bit of a bigger ball, and that will over the course of rallies that will break your opponent down if you play similar game styles, mm. and and I think that's what we saw yesterday, and that's why. 
That's why how he's winning matches. He's got to be. He's one of the most consistent players on tour, isn't he? I he wonder how. I wonder how Nick Kyrgios feels now after <laughs> slating him that he only wins two fifties. So Nick Kyrgios, for those who aren't aware, uh, accused Kasparud of stealing points by going and playing uh, two fifty clay court tournaments when others were off playing the hardcore swing in America. Um, Kasparud then got to the final of the Miami Open, which is, of course, on hard courts, uh, and kind of joked, oh, I'm just a clay court specialist. Um, yes, he's got lots of points on clay, but it's certainly now paying off for him. Uh, he won the title in Geneva the week before Roland Garros. Traditionally, if you go and win the title the week before a Grand Slam, it doesn't work out well for you. Well, Kasparud won the title in Geneva. He's in the semi-final. He's in the semi-finals. Martina Trevisan won the title in Rabat last week. She made it to the semi-final, so maybe it's worth it. I don't know. Cam Norrie might disagree. He won the title the week before Roland Garros and it didn't do him any good. Uh, but anyway, it's neither here nor there. Um, if you, if I had to make you predict these two matches tomorrow, Calvin, starting with Nadal's Zverev, how would you see it going and in how many sets? Uh, I think Nadal will win that in straights. I think he'll. I think Zverev will get a set because I think he was he served extremely well against Alcaraz, and I think when he serves very well, he's going to get at least a tie break, if not better. So I will back him to do it in four. Um, I mean, I made you go first on that one. I'm going to take Rude Chilich, and I'm going to take Chilich in five, which I don't think you'll agree with. No, I think Rude's got to win that. Um, I, in I how many? I haven't actually watched much of Chilich, but he's obviously playing well. Four. Four. Um, he's... What I will say is that I thought Rude was getting a bit tight yesterday. And I think he was, and my mate texts me, uh, another coach texts me going, he's getting that. He's playing, at the end of the second set, he said, Rude's playing like he's seeing the final here. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, he definitely did get a little bit tight um, at times. And I do, I think it's kind of inevitable. But yes, I mean, he is a first time semi-finalist. Chilich is his first French Open semi-final, but... He's obviously been in semi-finals before. He made the final at Wimbledon, final of the Australian Open. He obviously won the US Open. So, uh, I think is Chilich gets bloody tight, and he got tight against Rublev in the fourth set. But then, when it came to the Champions tiebreak, which you would think, you know, end of the fifth set, first to ten wins a match, that's like tight central. You know, that is yeah. tight Parkway, and he just cruised it. Rublev was in tears, like he absolutely nailed it. So. Yeah, it's one of those you play like for four and a half hours to, and then somebody just comes out and clubs 10 winners. <laughs> it's just, just be devastating. Yeah, I, I remember a, a player I used to coach was similar. She was a, a huge hitter of the ball and she played a girl in like a junior indoor nationals or something. And they went, the, the final score was seven, six, six, seven, seven, five. And they played the match lasted about three hours 20 and then the girl who I coached ended up winning she was 6-5 up on serve and then the other girl hit four first serves and the girl I coached just hit four clean winners and I'm like how that must just be so demoralising <laughs> that, that like you turn all that and it's not, it's not even like you've blown it in many ways you prefer to just blow the match and double fault or something you yeah. think well I've come out I've hit four first serves and I think that's what it's a bit like with Chilich and Rublev uh, yesterday he made uh, several occasions. He was just laughing at Chilich for having like smoked a forehand winner that hit the line, and it was in the first set. And I, it was a smile that said, 
well, I mean, surely you can't do that for the next four hours. And he basically did, albeit with some blips. And Medvedev had the same thing. Like, Chilich just turned up and just just kept hitting lines. Like, it's absurd. Yeah. 2014 yeah. US Open all over again. Um, I think that's all we've got time for. I hope you've enjoyed our podlet this evening. We will, of course, be back tomorrow night to look forward to the women's final between Iga Schronte and Coco Goff. We'll talk more about those semi-finals. And then, of course, we've got the French Open final to look forward to on Sunday. Calvin, you'll, of course, be out on court in Surbiton, but hopefully you'll be able to join us in the very late evenings. Uh, in the meantime, please do leave us a rating or a review if you can or you'd like to. And thank you very much for listening. Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.